ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. Michael Bird, welcome to ATV Talk. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show. And I know that this was kind of like spur of the moment for you. And I really appreciate you uh, you being there and being available. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if if I wasn't doing this show, I, I would probably be wasting my time like playing a guitar or <laughs> doing something like just to take up my time. So this uh, you have ATVs to work on. Uh, Mark would probably want me at the shop this late, but, uh, I, no, (laughs) it's it's the off season. So I gotta, I gotta unwind a little bit. So take me back. You've been in the industry a long time. Yeah. What got you motivated to do this? Um, well, actually my, my best friend in high school, he, he had a, he had a banshee. And uh, he would go race and and I would just kind of tag along with him. And actually, the first time I heard my name on like a loudspeaker, uh, he's when he was signing up, he put my name as the mechanic, uh, even though I, I wasn't much of a mechanic when I was 16 years old. Uh, we're more like 15, but <laughs> I kind of it takes a while to be a good mechanic. And actually, I, I still feel like I have a lot to learn. I have a, I have a lot to learn. So, um, even though I've been around these, these dang machines for 20 years, uh, yeah, I still have a lot to learn. Well, I've been doing it most all my life. And, and to be honest with you, you learn every day. Yeah. Every day that you're not learning something, um, new about your, your industry, it, you, you're falling behind. Um, yeah. So, um, that, that, let's get into that. When did you decide or how was it decided that you were going to start working on ATVs? Um, it probably, I, I want to say when I got out of the military, um, I, I, like as soon as I got out, Mark, Mark Baldwin was the first person to offer me a job. So <clears throat> Uh, I went in there and I was just doing shipping and parts and, uh, and I was, uh, the shock builder, I was helping the shock builder out by cleaning the parts as he took them apart. Um, and that, those were the days with the, you know, the Chrome body PPs, mm-hmm. uh, 
where where the crossovers would stick to the body so people would spray them down with uh, WD-40. Well, those parts would be black. And I, by the end of the day, I would be black up to my elbows from cleaning those dang things. But you, you learn how to, you learn about the parts while you're cleaning them. So when that, when that shock builder moved out, uh, I took over as a shock builder. So it was, uh, uh, it was, it was a quick training when, when I took over and that was probably 2009, I want to say 2008, maybe how many years were you in the military? Three years. What brand? I joined right after right after 9-11, I went in. Right. And I was stationed in California on the 15, just uh, 40 miles east of Barstow. Nice. Yeah, you know the Mojave, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, it's 120 degrees every day from May to October. Ah, it's okay, dude. That's just... The- just normal weather no not when you're from pennsylvania <laughs> <laughs> well so you you got out of the military and went straight to baldwin motorsports yes yeah straight in but actually when i was when i was stationed out there i went to my first national at Glen helen and uh my little brother he stayed on my base and we got we get to the track and he's like here come on i'll show you around so he takes me, and I think Mark and Tim just got those big Honda rigs. They bought them off Kevin Wyndham and uh, Mike LaRocco right. around 03. And uh, he takes me inside one, and I was like, oh, let me get my boots. And it was raining that year. And he's like, no, don't worry about it. He's like, they make vacuums for that. So I sit down on the couch, and I, I trampled mud in, in this brand-new, beautiful rig. So I sit down, and I'm like, oh, where, where's Baldwin at? And he's like, oh, he's probably in his rig. And I was like, whose rig are we in? He didn't get the answer. Tim Farr walks out of the back and looks at his carpet. And I've never met Tim before. So that was Tim's first impression of me. Some some guy just trampled mud all through his brand new rig. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, did that relationship get better, I hope? Yeah, yeah, it got better. <laughs> you know, Tim's a pretty easygoing guy, though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's uh he's pretty calm. The only time I've ever seen him get like a little razzled was when uh I think it was 06 when we were building this TT bike. Now still that I still think that's the baddest quad we ever built at Baldwin Motorsports, but I was putting the tie bolt kit in his motor and just to mess with him I I stood up and I was like, "Dang it, I just cross-threaded this one." And it's all the way in. And uh, he ran over to that bike just to see, and and the bolt wasn't even in. I just kind of like got you, Tim. And I think, oh. <laughs> but then that's when I learned there's things you don't joke about in the shop. <laughs> yeah, especially not with a competitor of that level. You know, yeah. that that's that's golden though. Uh, yeah, yeah, great. You came in basically when we were transitioning to four stroke. Yeah. You didn't get the glory days of the 250Rs too much. That's uh <clears throat> no, I uh just uh, like the local track stuff when I was in high school, which I wasn't really getting my hands dirty. I was kind of like helping change tires and stuff on my buddy's quad and uh actually Mark and Tim would come to that track and for practice and just wax everybody. 
but my buddy's Banshee. My first bike was a 78 Hodaka two-stroke uh, SL, 250 SL. Thing weighed like 500 pounds. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I never had to work on that. My stepdad worked on that for me, so. Nice, nice. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, the, um, the 0405s were the bike to have when I first started in the industry. And uh, I think the Yamahas were out and I don't think the Suzuki was out yet, but I think they were on their way. Yeah. So you got transitioned right in to the four strokes, um, where, where we are now. Yeah. Except now, now nothing, nothing has carburetors on it anymore. It's all, it's all throttle bodies, which (laughs) when, when fuel injection first came out, it just everyone was complaining, like, oh, you got to plug in a laptop to these things. Like, just give me some good old jets, you know, <laughs> like the carburetors are so much better is what everyone was saying. But I don't I just don't think everyone had the education like they do now. No, none of us did, because if fuel injection wasn't in our industry, you know, you figure in 06, we were behind the curve by years and years and years to the automotive industry. Um, the motorcycle industry was coming into it at the same time we were. So they were still behind the curve as well. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. you go, we still do a lot of carburation work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do a, I do the, the fuel injection stuff too, but on the West coast in the, in the area we are, it's still, I mean, I'm still doing a fair amount of two stroke business. Yeah, I uh I rebuilt a carburetor today. So, I mean the uh you ever you ever have an accelerator pump jet, the one that sticks up in into the uh like in the throttle body that that it's clogged and it won't spray when you when you pump the actuator uh and then you got to split the whole thing and then get tap that thing out and find something really thin just to to get it clean. That's that's what I did today. It's like it's like two hours of work for just a little cleaning a little hole out. What a pain that is. <laughs> probably caused by pump gas. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I didn't. I won't allow machines to have pump gas in my shop. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well, this one got mailed in and it was, uh, we need it for the weekend. So hurry up and get it done. Oh, I got to love those guys. Yeah. yeah they're great. And, and they could have <laughs> sent it in three weeks earlier. Yeah, they could have, or a month, you know. Right, right, right. <laughs> Let's get back into the meat of of the development of a race mechanic. Mm-hmm. So you shipped, you washed parts, you became the shock guy. Yeah. At, at that point, were you working with the motors at all with Mark, or was it just the shipping and the shocks? Uh, I would I would tear them down. Uh, uh, when people would send in heads, uh, tear those down. Um, I actually left Baldwin Motorsports in, in 2010, I want to say. Uh, but that was after two years I had, I had my own pro-am rider. Uh, and that was, uh, Mark Winchester. He eventually went pro, but he, he was my pro-am guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, so I was working for a bike collector. Um, and he had all kinds of like old Makos. And, uh, it, I started there in 2011 and he had 75 motorcycles, all vintage, uh, motocross bikes. 
And by the time I left in uh, 2015, 2016-ish, he had 175. So, and it was all restoration work. And, And going from where Mark Baldwin's over your shoulder, everything you do, uh, to my own shop, and I worked alone. I worked alone for six years. Uh, that's when I learned a lot. Uh, to when I, I couldn't ask questions, I had to figure stuff out on my own, like rebuilding transmissions and uh, like uh, ring end gaps and and you know all, you know everything that comes with rebuilding a motor and rebuilding a whole vintage motocross bike. Uh, so that's where I got my real education, and then uh, then I came back to Baldwin's. And I was immediately on the race team, but I was working for Mark on Saturday. So when we're washing the bike, I lift the bike up, put it on a stand for him. I'm spraying soap and just walking around looking for, uh, you know, tell Mark like, hey, there's some dirt and linkage or this or that. Um, but after a couple of years of that, I, I started getting that fever where I wanted to be on the line again. Um, and uh you know, I was, I was putting like, you know, whispering in the ear, like, let's get another pro rider. And, uh, and it, it didn't happen. Uh, but we were down in Georgia a few years ago and I, and I look across the pits and I see Chad washing his bike and I'm like, well, like who's, why is he washing his own bike? So I walked over there and I'm like, I asked him, why, why are you washing your own bike? He's like, I don't, I don't have a mechanic. And I was like, oh, I was like, well, I don't have a rider. And he's like, really? He's like, uh, you want to try and do something? And I said, yeah. He's like, I'll call Baldwin next week. And that was the week before Muddy Creek, uh, 2020. So he, he called Mark and Mark said, hey, uh, Chad mentioned something about you working for him for one weekend. <laughs> one weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, we we." you know, had a little talk about it. And he's like, all right, but he's like, you don't mess up. Cause the, like, if you mess up under him, like that's like a big deal. So uh, like immediately the pressure was on. And then we get to Muddy Creek and I think I told maybe Tim Detling, I was like, well, I'll see you on the line tomorrow. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, who are you wrenching for? I was like, Chad Weenan. And it was like, yeah, right. You're not, <laughs> you're not wrenching for Chad Weenan. And, uh, I was like, oh, yeah. And everyone looked at me like, you better, you know, you better tighten your belt up, you know, because that's that's not an easy task uh, renting for the champ. No, I mean, that's uh, dude, you went from sparring with squirrels mm -hmm. to the full blown heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's how it felt Saturday morning. I was, I think my knees were shaking all day. I was so nervous and it was more or less not, not because of my knowledge of, of the machines, just the, 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 uh, the nervousness of forgetting something like one lug nut and you ruin a day, you can ruin a career. Um, so and even like <laughs> first moto, I was like, who's taking the pit board? Are you doing the pit board? Like asking the other guys that are under the, no, that's all you, Michael. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Like I, I, and at that point, you don't know what Chad wants written on his, on his pit board. So, and I think he knew it's, you know, that's going to take some time. And it was definitely, uh, probably, you know, four or five rounds that year before I, you know, I, I, I started being able to, uh, have a drink of water in between motos because, uh, 
you know, time wise, I just, uh, I wasn't there yet. And, and just to get my own routine down to where Chad was comfortable and didn't have to watch me. And I was comfortable with, you know, sitting down, having a drink of water, talking to the guys, knowing the machine's already ready. And I still have a half hour left. What's the break that down for, for everybody, because not everybody understands what happens. He comes off the track, moto one, and now it's you're on. What do you, what do you do how to do? Uh, the first thing I do is I talk to him because if there's something wrong with the bike, I need to know about it. And I, I want to think about it while I'm washing the bike. So I can think about what tools I'm going to have to grab. And most of the time there's nothing wrong with his bike. Or sometimes he'll think maybe a tire ball turned and he can feel it or, uh, you know, just it's small things like that usually. Uh, so <clears throat> after I talk to him, it's rip the seat off, put the plug on the intake. Um, I usually cover the, uh, the, the box with a, like a Ziploc bag to keep water out of it, out of the vortex and, uh, I plug the exhaust, get it over to the wash area, soap it down. And then just go to town washing it now, <laughs> washing a bike for, you know, a guy six through 15 is different than washing a bike for Chad Weenan. Cause if you get it back under the tent after you dry it and it's not clean enough, go wash it again. <laughs> so, so that thing has to be gleaming and looking like it hasn't even hit the track yet that day. So then after that, uh, I usually put the the rear end of the of the bike on a on a jack stand just to get the rear end off the ground and that's when I drop the oil and so that's draining uh and then I go back to the rear end of the bike uh reset chain tension uh swap swap the rear tires so that that's the bike's leaning forward the two drain plugs and a YFZ uh so it's draining while I'm working on the rear end of the bike and normally I can have before the oil's done draining, I have the rear tires swapped. I have the chain lube, the tension set. Uh, the carrier is uh, retightened. And then go back to the front of the bike. And sometimes I'll pull, depending on the track, uh, I'll, I'll jack the front end of the bike up under a jack stand. Not on a stand. We just put it on a jack stand. But he has Fox shocks, so it has to be up in the air anyway for when I do air. But sometimes I'll take the front tires off just to to clean the rotors and, and put some spray through the pads. Uh, uh, he will, let's see <laughs> my routine. Uh, I, I don't do shock pressure right away, but I I'll do tire pressure, um, pretty quickly because normally the, the bikes, it's already hot out. And it's not going to change much before the next part of the moto. Uh, get the drain plug plugs in, uh, fill it with oil, uh, check radiator fluid. Uh, we normally wait to do fuel. Uh, Harvewell, he'll hit a, a an air horn uh, to let you know that you only have a couple minutes to get up to staging. So normally we have our fuel on ice. So wait for the horn to do the fuel but everything needs to be ready by then uh sometimes chad will want to change shocks um sometimes he just wants to make air adjustments uh in between motos um sometimes i'll get air done and the horn's already blown and it's fueled up and he wants to change the air pressure in the rear tire so the mud cap's got to come back off and uh 
you know, and I, I kind of give them a look too. I give them a look like, really? Okay. <laughs> You're the boss. <laughs> so, so the relationship between you and him is, is grown and, and really good because riders don't always keep mechanics for a long period of time. No, no. And, and the, the guys told me like, before I started working for him, they're like, Oh, you'll be fired this year. Like he goes through them. Um, but I think Danica has something to do with it because I'll, I'll like when they had the baby, I will hold the baby and I'll play with Lakin and, or, <laughs> so I'm like part of the family now. So I think it's, it's a little harder for him to fire me if I mess up. I did mess up once though. Uh, it was Daytona two years ago. And he goes out for his parade lap and there's not a lot of time uh, for a lap around Daytona for me to prep his gate. So I was just, I was focused on the gate and I'm prepping it and stamping it down and scraping it. And uh, I think, I think it was Detling. Hey, Chad wants you. And I look up and he's like, he's like a hundred yards away. And the only thing I could hear is the F word. And I'm looking around like, what? Like, what's what's going on? And uh, they're like, his seat fell off. I forgot to put the pin in the seat. And the first jump he hit, the seat came right off. And he, he was just letting me know uh, that uh, the seat the seat came off and I forgot to put the pin in. So uh, Detling brought me over a big, like, Honda pin that goes in the, that we put in the Honda seats. Uh, but it wasn't fitting in, in the little Yamaha tab. So Chris Hunt, uh, Michael Allred's, uh, main sponsor. He ran back to the pits. Now he's 60 years old and a little bit, just a touch overweight. Um, he ran all the way back to the pits and got me a pin. So Chad's he's on the line and he's revved up because the, the cards already sideways and off, off the track. And I'm getting this pin in and I'm thinking to myself, my fingers through the pin. If, if the gate drops, Chad's going and my fingers going too. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just trying to get it in there. I was willing to take that chance because I felt hor- like I wanted to dig a hole and, and just crawl it deep inside of it. Uh, but I got it in there and I, I got up in his ear and I said, hey, the pin's in. You're good to go. And uh, I think he had a couple more cho- choice words for me. Uh, but he ended up winning the race. So it all was forgiven. Uh, you know, you, as mechanics go you're always, you're going to make a mistake. Yeah. Cause you're not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's, there's a couple incidents in my life where I will never forget those moments because they're yeah. Ouch. You know, fortunately yeah. riders didn't get hurt, but motors did because you do, you do dumb things, you know? And yeah. Yeah. Or what I tell myself now, if you've told yourself that it's okay, it's not check it. Uh, so his seat pin now, <clears throat> uh, like when I have the bike done, it still gets checked six to seven times before we leave the pits now. And there's an extra one in, in my backpack that I carry. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> a, You'll never forget that. Will you? I won't. I won't. It'll never be forgotten. And, and nobody around the pits lets me forget about it too. Well, I mean, if that's the only thing that they're getting you with, you're doing outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm patting you on the back right now. I mean, that's pretty awesome. You're working for one of the all time greatest ATV racers ever, mm -hmm. arguably, arguably 
one of probably the, the best in history and you're getting razzed for a seat pin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they call me seat pin. Hey, seat pin. How's today going for you? Well, you know, I would freaking, I'd just get a little pin put on my shirt and be like all good with it. <laughs> I, I always tell them my championships are too loud. I can't hear you. That there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> so you've been working with him. This is your fourth year coming up. Yeah. Fourth year. So you've been two times a number one and a number two. Yeah. Just, just got my first number two. Um, eh, you, you're not going to win them all. Um, Chad, it, it was early in the year. We had, we had like Daytona. He, he was in last place on the first lap on a track that you can't pass at. Right. It, like it was so muddy. Uh, I expected him to stay in last place. He made it up to fifth and I didn't see any dirty passing. So I don't know how he did it. And I don't even think I showed him the pit board the whole time. Maybe I give him like, this is how much time you have left, but he knew exactly what he had to do. And I, the amount of focus that he would have to have to get up to, you know, into those places to where uh, points weren't going to hurt him that bad. You just kind of leave him alone and let him do his thing. He's Chad, he's Chad Ween. And what, what am I going to tell him? Breathe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you never know. He could be holding his breath, right? Yeah, that's true. I didn't see him. He wasn't matching the bike, though. He wasn't blue in the face. So there you go. Yeah. How was his demeanor when he got back to the pits in Daytona? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. I think earlier in his career, I think it, it might have been, but he he knows he knew that he salvaged that that moto. Um, cause you're in last place and he rode the whole race with no goggles on too. So coming up on guys and passing them, uh, with no goggles on getting up to fifth place out of 15, 16 riders. Uh, that was, that might've been the second gutsiest, uh, performance I've ever seen him race. What's the first, uh, 2020, we had a double header in Texas. And uh, I, th I think him and Joel split motos on Saturday and it was one moto on Sunday. And it like the, it was a really tight race uh, points wise between Joel and Chad and uh, Joel got the whole shot. Normally when Joel gets a whole shot, he is, he's gone. Now Joel had a nice lead and I think, I think Chad got around Bryce on, on maybe lap two and how hard he rode. Um, like uh, me watching him and how fast he was riding. I've seen Chad, you know, get a whole shot and just leave the competition, but the intensity he had during that moto, uh, like I had to like, I was holding back tears. It was it, it, I, like, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it, but it was, I, I was saying to myself, like, oh, my God, he's doing it like he's catching Joel. And then he caught him through like this rhythm uh, section or this rough part of the track, kind of like uh, whoops. Uh, and that's where he caught Joel. And he, he touched him a little bit in the corner and then took him on the inside. And then Joel had to ride that like was riding like with his hair on fire to try and catch him. And he couldn't. That was Joel's last year on a Honda. 
I think that's when I think Joel was like, it, you know, when Joel's riding as hard as he can and he can't catch somebody, uh, I think that's when he decided to switch machines. Yeah, that uh, that was kind of a shocker to some of us that are Honda people that he switched. Yeah, yeah, even we're even even Baldwin. Our our whole shop is blue now. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he's a Honda guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we cut our teeth on Hondas. I mean, that's just. I've been Honda since I was a newborn. Yeah. So to to transfer to Yamaha, and this is what's going to be real goofy when I say this. I've won more titles with Yamaha than I have Honda. Recent, or even just you're probably going back to the you going back to the Tri Z. Uh, no, I'm going back to you know, working with Yamaha Banshees, where uh-huh. uh, you know I was Eichner's mechanic, and he rode a Banshee for you know a number of years, and we run mm-hmm. we won a lot of races on those Yamahas, uh, and uh, you know I worked with Sloan in '18, he won the Works title, and he was on a Yamaha, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and Doug didn't win all of his Works titles on Honda, he won one year on the Kawasaki. So on the, on the fuel injected Cowie? No, no. Oh. On, the, on the KFX 400 and the KFX 700. Okay. Yeah. So the KFX 400 was the same as the LTZ 400. Yep. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Kenny, what, was it even a Cowie though? No, it was, it was better quality. <laughs> it was a Suzuki engine. Yeah, I mean, it was better. It was, it was better quality. I would say than the Kawasaki. Um, uh-huh. Some aspects, I, I can't knock Kawasaki too bad. I got to ride for him for a season, um, yeah. even though it was on the heaviest sport quad ever built. <laughs> uh, you know, it is what it is, right? Um, yeah. No, that, that Z four hundred was. Um, yeah, it's Suzuki. If they would have just worked a little harder, they would have had a little better machine. Yeah, yeah. I think Timmy won won a championship on that Z four hundred. Um, and I can I can almost guarantee you Baldwin still has like Yoshimura clutches in the back by his dyno. He still has some of Tim's parts sitting back there, um, which is kind of cool. Like sometimes when I'm back there, I'll go through them just looking at them uh because just some of that some of that old stuff's just cool to see still sitting around on the shelves i think we still have some of the takeoff parts from some of eichner's stuff you know and some of the guys that hanging around unfortunately we don't have any of the machines anymore yeah i there's a couple of them that i i would have liked to have kept mm-hmm. but, you know they're too costly to keep you know you yeah People value them more than more than we do. So yeah, you know, yeah, sell them. You know, no oh, Baldwin still has a uh, a White Brothers Carbon Pro, still brand new. I think wow. the tag the tag still says Donnie Luce, who's now working for Yamaha, right. but he was a White Brothers rep when uh, Timmy rode for White Brothers. I used to talk to Donnie a couple times a week when he worked at White Brothers. Uh huh. Yeah, now he comes to the track and watches me work, and I, I don't like it too much. I did. He's a great guy. Yeah, he is. He is, but when you're working and, like, 
well, you're not my boss, but you're kind of my boss kind of watching me wash a bike, you know? <laughs> uh, so funny story, Paris Raceway here in California. Mm-hmm. This is three-wheeler, four-wheeler transition time. Donnie Luce is riding the Takati 250. Mm-hmm. And Paris had an uh, like a 180-degree tabletop turn. It wasn't really 180. It was it, almost. Well, I'm headed towards that jump where you jump up onto the platform, you turn, and you jump down. Donnie Luce passes me on the inside sideways, goes into the air, never touches the platform, and goes down the other side. Still like sideways and catches and just gone. Yep. And he was on a three wheeler and I was on a four wheeler. <laughs> but so did you feel like, did you feel when that happened that maybe the four wheeler wasn't uh, the future? Maybe you should have stayed on a three wheeler? No, I felt that I should be turn the throttle a little harder. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, uh-huh. I was never, I was never going to be that, those guys' speed. Um, mm-hmm. Some of those, those guys were just so phenomenally fast. Yeah. Being fortunate enough to to see, you know, guys like Donnie Luce ride and, you know, Steve Mendenhall and Donnie Banks and Shane Hitt. And, you know, I can go on and on and on with these names. Getting to watch those guys ride, it's phenomenal. Uh, I mean, I, I can go back to 87, you know, Glenn Helen, Marty Hart and Donnie Banks, you know banging bars, you know, on, on, uh, TRX for uh, 250Rs, um, mm-hmm. just incredible stuff that back when they didn't have suspension, they didn't have wider a arms and you know what I'm talking about. I was not the mechanic. I was just, I was, my brother was Marty's mechanic. So I was basically watching and learning Mm-hmm. Uh, not smart enough to realize that's what I was doing, but um, y- you get to see history in the making and, and most people will never understand the development of the industry and where it came from. Right. You know, Mark Baldwin for a teacher for you is incredible because he came in, in the two fifty R days in the nineties and worked his way into a championship with Timmy and never stopped. No, no, he didn't. And then <clears throat> even when the, uh, when the TRX 450R was being developed, uh, I guess the Japanese engineers were at Baldwin Motorsports going over some things with, with him and Tim. Um, and then when Shane or when Tim got that factory deal with them, I guess like a semi backed in and they just started unloading like tons of parts, like cases and just, just all the, all the goods, you know, for a, a factory rider. And I, I think it was like the first true uh, factory ride for, for a, a quad rider. I mean. Um, it wasn't even, it, that, that was still a satellite program. True factory rides are under the, 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 the factory tent. ATVs have haven't had that since WPSAs. Um, the Suzuki, the Suzuki deal 
wasn't managed by Suzuki. Huh. It, it, it was a satellite program to a point. What about the what about the Cowie team with Jimmy White? That was a factory team. Yeah. Can Am yeah. had a factory gig for a short period of time. Uh-huh. The Polaris thing was satellite. Uh, the Yamaha stuff has been satellite the whole time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. But um, true factory stuff is like the Supercross guys, too. They have a factory tent, factory rig, factory mechanics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What? What's wrong with us? Well, the ATVs have supported it and paid the bill for those guys for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, but I mean, even like a sliver, like we don't need a whole semi, like just a sliver of their budget. Someone could have a pretty good factory ride and, uh, you know, our pits would look a heck of a lot better with a couple, you know, factory trucks or even something the size of Chad Weenan's or, or Mark Baldwin's truck. Well, just a toy hauler. Yeah. You know, I agree. Uh, I mean, yeah. And and then if you watch you watch the videos of the WPSA races, mm-hmm. that was such good TV. Anytime I I'm scrolling through social media and they're they're showing one of those races, I have to stop and watch. <laughs> they're they're all that good. I think that I think that the ATV industry needed like. Did you ever watch any of the old Mickey Thompson races? No, you need to because we were on television worldwide in a stadium environment with stadium trucks and cars. And then they brought the motorcycles in and it was incredible. You still have people today that remember the old Mickey Thompson days and Mm -hmm. you were center stage. It was live prime time on ESPN. That's yeah, that's, that's, you know, I, I wish it was like that. Um, and it, it stinks because c- cable's kind of going away. Uh, and now they have all these streaming things. So, um, and I don't know where or if there could ever be a future in with our racing on on some type of television to where you can just turn on your TV and, and flip it through the channels for someone that's not in the sport, but to come across it, be interested in it enough to, to keep watching and then you know, decide that they like that sport and that's something that they're going to, you know, watch, uh, regularly. Um, and I guess that's the dream that everyone in the industry has that one day it'll happen. You got to make it, you got to make it. We got to get away from the stigma of 85 when they came out with this 60 minutes deal. Mm -hmm. So we have to get rid of the stigma that, that ATVs are bad. Um, and that they're not couches, you know, and really showcase what amazing athletes these guys are. And most of your motorsports people that have either come from ATVs or have watched ATVs see the level of athletes they are, you know, from your TT guys, which they're phenomenal and how fast they can make those machines work and the way they can get them to drift and just the things that they can do. If if you truly enjoy watching one of the better forms of ATV racing. And the reason I say that is because when you turn the lights on and you race quads at night and the, the glisten 
and the shine and the speeds that they're traveling and the way they drift through the turns. Um, there's nothing like it, you know? Right. I mean, you're, you're, you're watching poetry in motion and just, it, it's, it's almost a beautiful song that, that when they're flowing, it's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. You got to get that feel on TV. Now the motocross, it's going to be harder. You're going to need to open the gate up. Maybe you run a two row system where you're running 30 quads instead of 20. You got to get more guys out there. Um, this is going to sound bad, but there's got to be more top contenders than Joel and Chad. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and it. you think about how expensive ATV racing really is. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, I mean, a $40,000 machine to be competitive in anything above B class, um, that that's a heavy burden on a lot of families. Yeah. And I think, I think that they could regulate that and, and drop the price for the everybody below the pro-am mm-hmm. and, and make rule changes so that you can't do modifications and, and then bring the, de- develop the riders through the ranks, you know, like your B rider should be riding a stock bike maybe with a pipe and a ECU or a, a tuning device. Other than that, that, that's all they should get. Yeah. My B rider this year was on a stock bike, but he was competing in like college 16 to 24 and he was competing against guys with hybrids. And that's not fair. Uh, yeah. He, he, he was winning the first uh, three laps at Loretta's against those machines. So he, uh, uh, but, but that kind of made me realize he deserves a little more than uh, a stock bike. <laughs> but but you think about it, if if you developed these guys from stock machines, mm-hmm. how much more can you teach them about suspension? How much more can you teach them about the way the machine works? So when right. they get to the pro line, they get it. Right. And they know they know what body roll is. They know what uh, the front end's pushing. They they know all that stuff. And those are <clears throat> sometimes you come across riders where uh, they say the su- suspension is not right. And then, then you say, okay, what, what is it about? Oh, I don't know. It's just not right. But then, <laughs> and then when I get Chad Weenan comes in from the pits and he says, I'm getting a little bit too much uh, feedback in the handlebars, change this and this. Uh, and that makes my life really easy when I know exactly what he wants me to do to the shocks. And I don't even, I don't have to think about it and I don't have to watch him closely on the track to be able to tell for him. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's a guy who's been racing the pro class for 20 years and, you know, knows his stuff and, and goes testing with the factory suspension guys. Exactly. And so, so developing the industry at a different level. And there's right now there's B riders and, and, and a riders, you know, freaking out. Why, what is this old guy saying? Why would, why would he take my, my hybrid away from me? Well, because you haven't earned it. You, you, you haven't got the education level to ride it. No, daddy's mm-hmm. got a pocketbook for it, but wait a minute, let's put you on a machine to teach you. Yeah. Where everyone else has the same machine also. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and some of what you see is the guy with the big pockets winning. Yeah. You know, well, when you get to the pro class, your pocket ain't big enough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you get, or, uh, 
the, the big pockets win the six lap races, but then you get to pro-am where it's, uh, you know, 15 minutes plus a couple laps and, uh, you know, <laughs> pockets aren't going to get you endurance. Heart and desire. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you, you you're at, you're at both levels. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I got to work in the 90s back in the motocross series. It was different then. You know, we rode uh, 250Rs with, you know, roll chassis and and different style motors and, and things like that. But it's similar, but it's not the same. Yeah. You know, and, and some people... You know, have asked me, you know, well, well, how do you know this or how do you know that? Well, you got to figure I've been doing this longer than most people in the industry have been alive. Mm-hmm. So it, it it's a lot of fun. I really. I miss being the mechanic, but I don't miss it at the same time. <laughs> Tell you what, I'm <clears throat> I just turned 41 this past weekend. Uh, so I'm not I'm not really old, but I'm not you know, I'm not in my thirties or twenties anymore, but at the end of the day on Saturday, we're talking five o'clock. I am done. Like it is, it is a day. Like, you know, you're washing the bike three times. Uh, you put, picking it up, put it on a stand. I don't know how many times, um, you know, you got to push it through staging and up to the line. It's hot. Uh, there's just a, a lot going on plus the stress. So you're sweating more anyway. <laughs> It's uh yeah by five six o'clock I, I I'm done. Even people talking to me, I can't even think anymore sometimes. So it, it's awesome that you've had the opportunity to do that in a day. You know, I never got the opportunity to. I mean, it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday gig. You know, and you never got to do that uh, one day. Well, I take that back. I work for some desert teams and we would race on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the events was we started racing on Friday morning, you know, and you'd get done. If you were lucky, you were done Friday early, you know, because it's 500 mm-hmm. miles. Well, yeah. I, no Friday. I still work for Baldwin Motorsports at the track. So I might right. be servicing shocks or, you know, doing something under the tent. And Sunday, <clears throat> I'm working for Baldwin Motorsports also. So it, it's you a full weekend the, for me. You don't even get the time off? <clears throat> Not, well, I, I, there's been rumors that I have snuck away and drank a couple beers with the guys. But I can't confirm that. <laughs> Cannot confirm nor deny? No, I can't. I can't do either. You know, you... you I'm sure that Mark has uh, gotten easier to deal with as he's gotten older. I'm uh, sure have. Yeah, yeah, he has. But our team's gotten smaller, too. Back in, oh, let's say, oh, 2008, uh, there was me, Mark, uh, Sam, which was uh, Tim Farr's driver. So he drove for the team. Tim was still involved with the team then. Uh, Mike Wilm, he works for Honda R&D now. And Josh Upperman. And then my brother, Jamie, and my brother, Shane. So there was seven of us, and we could put the whole awning up at the truck in, in about 15 minutes. It was done, 15 minutes. But now it's just me and Mark. And up, I'm up on the roof with a bad back. Mark's down on the, on the ground with a bad back. 
<laughs> it's probably about an hour and a half, two hours now, because we take our time. We know we have plenty of time to get it done. Uh, but th- there was a lot more people on the team back then. So that was just me and him. But it makes it a lot easier inside the truck when there's just two of us. And we both know what's going on. So he doesn't have to ask much from me. I just know what's going on. Uh, he's Mark Baldwin. I don't have to tell him anything. So he knows what's going on. <clears throat> he knows what's going on before it happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's been around a long time. And, and you yeah. know, he's also had the knowledge level of people that he's gotten to work with. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just name, you know, Wayne Meridian, Arland, my brother, you know, Wayne Hinson. You're talking yeah. about super high caliber people, in, in my opinion, uh, in this industry. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. When we were when we were a satellite Kawasaki team for w, at WPSAs, I remember Jimmy White coming over and he just come over and he he was like messing with me under the and I looked at Mark like who like who is this guy? I could get him out of here. But then I quickly learned that that's Jimmy white. And he he's like, he's one of the untouchables, you know, <laughs> if about the family, like there are certain people that they they go wherever they want. He was one of them. Baldwin's one of them. Uh, Donnie loose was one of them. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was really impressed when I got to go back to Briarcliff and um, how welcoming everybody was. Mm-hmm. There were still people there that were there when I was there in the nineties. Really? Yeah. And, you know, re- remembered me when I had blonde hair, not white hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 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 it changes a lot. And, but what, what was so great is, is the family I think that you guys have back there is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, when people talk about a moto family, uh, they're not they're not kidding. Uh, you, you really some of your closest friends or even closest like you consider them family members are people at the track. Like normally this time of year, like I'm I'm happy the racing's over because like it, it, it's it's a busy summer. But then you, you get through the holidays and then you start looking at the calendar like when am I going to see my friends again? Uh, because you spend a lot of weekends with them and it's their full weekends where those are the only people you see. Like sometimes you're out in the middle of nowhere, nobody's cell phone works. Uh, so, and, and that's even better because then people put their phones down and you actually get to interact with people and uh, you sit around a table and you, you barbecue and you talk and you, you know, it's, I love the track. So Yeah. It, it, I I totally agree. The putting down the cell phone thing is the greatest thing. Those kids are getting an education in people skills that most of the planet's not getting. Yeah. You know, when they couldn't talk to you, how, how <laughs> yeah. are you, you know, and they actually talk and you're yeah. great instead of, you know, they're face down, you know, looking at their phone. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. It, it 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 breeds a sigh of relief when you get to see that interaction. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's going to be okay when when you go and get to participate in that. We've gotten off track a little bit. I I enjoy the conversation. Um, we talked about Mark's or I mean uh, Chad's moments on the. Mm-hmm. Track. 
you being in the in in the pit box mm-hmm. guy talk about what it's like for you seeing him out there sweating and working so hard and you're giving him the board every lap what's going through you uh so uh first off he he like he likes to get the time splits uh whether we'll just we're just gonna say it joel like where's joel at is is joel two seconds in front of him or is joel two seconds behind him and how much that time moves from lap to lap um and then so, and then he so chad told me uh that i should start taking a stopwatch with me because he, he wants his lap time also <laughs> and i'm just like chad i don't know if i can handle that because uh, especially during uh like uh time qualifying because you're you're holding the pit board and then you have your phone because they don't they don't put TVs up for you anymore and to give you the lap time. So you have to hold your phone and you're on some live uh website getting the lap times of what place they're in, and then you're you're watching where they're at on the track because you have to write it down in time. Like qualifying is a pain in the butt. But once the motos start, it's just let him know where he's at, who's behind him, and how much and uh or who's in front of them and how much. Um, but as far as giving them advice, uh, there's only certain tracks and certain areas where like if a, if a line has opened up because the tracks change throughout the motos, um, sometimes uh, let them know if, if a line has opened up somewhere on the track. I don't want to give away too many secrets, but um, but we have these discussions on on strategy what what he wants to know uh but it's mostly times is all he wants to know and usually he's going by so fast that's all he has time to look at is is to just glance over see a time on the board and then think about it and process it in a corner or two uh and sometimes he'll switch up his lines so he he really wants to know uh what what the times are if he's gaining ground or not uh there's been a couple times where i you know, I mess up and I, I don't get a time out there and he'll, he'll let me know, but, uh, we've never, there's never any bad blood, uh, between me and Chad. There was the one mess up in Daytona, but that was gone quickly because we were on the top of the box. But as far as like his pits and everything, his pits are great. Uh, it's a family environment. There's never any yelling, even if there's a problem, even if, uh, you know, we rip an intake boot and have to you swap stuff out. Uh, nothing, there's never been any swearing or anything under there. And it's, it's, it's a great work environment working for him. That's awesome. Yeah. No offense, Michael, you didn't answer my question though. Oh, what's going through my head? Yeah. What's, what are you, what are your emotions during this time? You know, you're watching the battle, you're seeing what's going on. You have a stake in it. The the only thing that is going through my head, and this is every race, I am thinking to myself, did I torque the wheels? Like, did I even put gas in it? Like, I, I'm, I, I get so nervous that I forget that I even do these things. Uh, you know, I, I put air in the, in the right shock. Did I put air in the left shock? And I constantly think about that. Uh, 
like, oh, did I retort the front wheels? Because you don't swap them because even if you swap them, the outside of the tire is still the outside of the tire. But uh, I, I mostly think about, <laughs> did I do everything correctly while he's out there? Chad doesn't DNF much. I'm knocking on wood. But uh, and, and if he does, it's probably going to be my fault. Now, the one thing in the, in, at the Nations when his carrier went out, there's, there's nothing I can do about that. The bearing goes bad. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't put those bearings together. Yeah. And he did say that that was brand new stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, next year, it's going to be a little, little more brand new. We're going to install <laughs> it over there. I'd <laughs> <laughs> take it right out of the wrapping, all, all done and yeah. done, right? Yeah, I'm going to have extra work on Thursday before the race next year. Wow. But uh, uh, bring it on because I, when that happened, I, I felt horrible. Um, actually, if you look at my look at my Facebook page, the the photo that I have on my Facebook page is a photo of me listening on the radio that Chad's at the bottom of the hill off the track. Um, and you can see that look on my face. But, uh, yeah, most of the time while the race is going on, I'm, I'm thinking about what I did before the race. Um, and then and basically just watching the bike. Uh, you know, making sure he's not coming into the pits with a problem. Uh, but there's not, you, you basically just watch. There's not a lot of time for you to think. Um, you, you, you're basically waiting to react. And, that, and that's, that's about it. This is, this is your heartfelt moment here. Loretta Lynn's uh-huh. second moto. White flag. You know he's coming off the track to you. What's the reaction between you and him knowing the season's over? Um, you know what? It's this year. It, it was the same as last year and the year before. See, whether you win a title or not, um, and me and Chad talk about this, that it's, it's more about the process. It's more about the journey uh, rather than the destination. I remember like both of his titles, I, I'm pumped up going to the last round, but after he wins it, it's just, it's over. And it's just, it's over now. All the excitement is leading up to it. When, and when it's over, it's just kind of like, well, yeah, we did it, but now, now it's over. And now I'm already thinking about next year. Um, actually, things are a little bit different this year because we didn't win at all. And we both want it real bad next year. And we've, we've talked about that. Like, let's, uh, you know, the mistakes we had early last year, we don't want those to happen next year. And, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure they don't happen. So, um, but when, when he came off the track, um, you know, I just, the same after every mode, I walked over, gave him a water and, uh, you know, put my hand on his shoulder and said it was a good year. Um, and we, we both knew early in the year when, when a, a few rounds didn't go our way, Texas didn't go our way. Georgia didn't go our way. Daytona didn't go our way. I think we knew then because Joel's such a force. Chad's such a force. Um, if Joel has three bad rounds where he's not finishing two, 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 two behind Chad, if, if you're, if you're not finishing right behind Chad, 
um, then Joel would have known right then and there. He had his work cut out for him. And me and Chad knew we had our work cut out for us after after the first three, four rounds. Um, so it really wasn't a surprise. Uh, but there is there was a little bit of letdown. But there's nothing nothing to be ashamed about finishing second behind Joel Hetrick. There's nothing to be ashamed of with your guys' program at all. I mean, yeah. you you set the bar so high for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I got more emotion from Chad than I ever had the last time that I had him on the show mm-hmm. right after he drove home. And um, I think for the fan that showed the real human side of him. And that's why I was asking you, your emotional take on it after, after the race, because um, my last ride with my long-term rider, mm-hmm. um, not good. No, no. It was just sad. Our friendship is stronger now. Um, things have happened, life changed, and, and the importance yeah. of the relationship that you have. See, you don't know this yet, but when you're older mm-hmm. and Chad's older, the bond you have now will be the bond you have then. Mm-hmm. Well, we haven't we haven't had a last ride yet. No, but I mean, no, yeah. what I'm talking about is the, is the bond you have right now, mm-hmm. that bond will last for the rest of your life. You're building your legacy and I love to, I love to hear it, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll have another conversation soon then, right? Yeah. All right. I, I got to get the second half. I got to get, well, I got to get the first half and the second half of your story because we only bounced around from the beginning to the end to the middle. You know? <laughs> Yes, I we're going to have to let, let let's schedule another show. Um, mm-hmm. I'm probably maybe December, January, get you back on and okay. have you tell us the rest of the story. OK. Yeah, right. sounds good. Yeah. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATV dot com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.